welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Allison, I am very excited to be here with you again. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited to... Yeah, it feels good. It's a beautiful morning here in BC. We've had some amazing spring weather and everything's blooming and it's just been it's been a really phenomenal time. We got notice um, recently from the provincial government up here saying that they're going to be moving towards kind of opening everything up again and getting back to quote unquote normal, whatever that's going to look like. And it's been really interesting because the response that I've heard from every person I've spoken to is, I don't really want to go back to normal. You know, I, I wow. really am kind of in, yeah. I mean, we all, it, it is, I, I understand, a, a privilege to be not in a city where we're not stuck inside, you know, but it's just the slowing down of people's lives has been really beautiful. And I, this is what I've heard from people and they've just appreciated um, different things in different ways, like f- families that I work with who, um, are actually really low income and they're they're growing gardens and they're spending time with their kids in different ways and it's it's been a really beautiful process really difficult but really beautiful too that actually has been slipping on a little bit from people in my life too where it's like there's this feeling of like oh wait actually there has been some good things from this there has been real mm-hmm. potential to change and it's like there's a thing I think a little bit more to go back outside but yeah a a larger hope that I hope things don't go back exactly to how they were I hope we completely take some good things with us yeah yeah and good things have um, I mean what it felt like uh in this really beautiful position that I get to take with people all the time of like sitting with them with the whatever they're working through or the woundings that they're looking at through this whole process, like people's willingness, and I think I referenced this in a previous episode, but people's willingness to go into their stuff was immense and has been immense, continues to be immense. And people that I've worked with for years who always, you know, we always have ways of escaping our stuff, ways of not having to actually face directly the woundings that are subconsciously motivating us to do what we're doing. We don't even realize it, you know, but we just keep moving faster and faster so that we can maybe outrun these sensations. And the stopping, of course, was deeply uncomfortable at first in this whole process. But then, you know, we we looked at stuff. And I think now I'm really fingers crossed that in looking at stuff, doing some deep healing work, and again, across the board, I've seen this in every client that I work with, um, we maybe won't be as motivated to go so fast, to do so much, to like push ourselves so hard. And, and civilization might, you know, become a little more sane, I hope. You know, what if yeah. it would be pretty magical if that was the outcome of this whole process is that we actually realize that this this relentless drive towards something, whatever we think we're getting towards and, and the, this increasing speed at which we're doing things is maybe not the best idea and maybe not what we want, right? I think that, yes. And also I feel like the kind of, tricky part is that it's like well I don't really want to dive back in but I get swept back in by the tide you know what I mean completely but that I think that the process of removing oneself from the fairly neurotic norms of modern society and I mean that with no offense but we we are so um, compulsive, right? We are, I mean, as, as Brene Brown has alluded to, I think in one of her TED Talks or something, just about how addicted and stressed and unhappy we are, you know, and we don't even realize it because we're just going and going and going. Once you have a break, once you sort of open your eyes and look at what's going on in your life, I don't think it's nearly as easy or possible to get swept back up, you know? I think that mm-hmm. that 
you you start to extract yourself and you start to go, wait a second, maybe I want more time in my day and not by like adding productivity hours, but I would like to work less and I would like to maybe, you know, rely on less money. I mean, we often don't think though, like I can't leave some big city or my lifestyle because this is what I'm sort of like conditioned into, but there's, there's options out there and maybe people are sensing that a bit more. I don't know. So, yeah, I've had several friends who have, have left the city because, well, visa issues are a big thing. So a lot of my friends have had to go back to their home country, but also it's like this, you really do reevaluate that. It's like, why am I actually here? Why do I need Mm -hmm. to be here? Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's a, it's a, I remember when I lived in San Francisco and actually recognizing how prevalent that question was in my mind without me really even realizing that, that I was no longer taking advantage of the benefits of being in a city, you know, i.e. going out to dinners and concerts and stuff. I'd lived there for five years roughly. And then I was, I was going hiking, I was going camping, I was being outside and realizing like, this is, this is not necessary for me to be spending 75% of my wages just existing here and paying yes. rent, you know, like I, I could go and have a, a sweeter kind of existence. And I mean, obviously there's, there's challenges. We have the biggest freaking mosquitoes you've ever seen. Like they're just obscene. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that. But you know, there's, there's this shifting of value system that I really, again, Fingers crossed. I'm, I'm hoping that we see and have seen through this whole process to say, maybe we don't have to do it this way, right? Maybe we don't have mm. to be this consumed by pushing ourselves and, and maybe there's room for sweetness and, and, and also developing this idea or this awareness that we can heal. We don't have to run away from these wounds. We are capable of looking at what is within us and some of it's pretty scary always but you know we can look at it and go okay there's tools there's support like I can do this work and I really hope Mm -hmm. that people are feeling that I hope so too I think that what might be stopping it or halting it or or whatever is that it's like I think that in the city there is this fantasy of the quieter life of being in nature. I certainly miss nature. That's been something that's really come up strong for me in this experience because I grew up mm-hmm. in Seattle, so I'm used to it. Um, right. But I think that the idea of of like having a sweeter, smaller, quieter life is kind of like makes you feel like, will I have the ultimate FOMO or that I somehow won't mm-hmm. fulfill my purpose mm-hmm. or I, I cannot become great or my life won't matter as much if if people don't see it because it's like this there is this like visibility that I think we all are being told we're supposed to have to make our work life etc yeah worth it yeah to make us worthy right is you have to do kind of big things visible things important things right and I mean, it. I think that that's a. It's a drive that has existed in us since the beginning of human existence, you know. And it's the drive to belong, to be um, somehow included in the group, you know, our our sort of tribal origins. And it's not something that we can get rid of, you know. But I I do think that it's been co-opted. That tribal drive has been co-opted by a system that. Um, in a sense is is like a drug you know it's it's like you you're never happy with it because you're trying to appeal to a global system you know or a lot something so massive that our brains can't even conceptualize of like connecting to or or being known by that many people and there's there's a never-ending pursuit that's going to happen in there you're never going to be successful enough you're never going to be famous enough whatever enough you know and there has to be I mean, as we've danced around and spoken to in the last few episodes, a recalibration and an awareness of of a value system that has to emerge from you. You have to decide, how do I decide if I am a good person, if I am doing the right things in my life? It can't be left 
to the system, right? You can't let everything around you tell you your worth. That's a, a lifetime of neurosis, right? So right. if we are saying, okay, well, I'm showing up in my life and I'm being grateful, I'm being compassionate, I'm being kind, I'm being honest, um, I'm taking care of my body, my mind, my spirit. I mean, that's going to take up a shit ton of your day just doing those things. You know, you're not even going to have time to worry about like what other people are thinking of you, right? <laughs> right. And and we have to do more of that. We have to internalize our power, right? We're giving our power away, our a power of definition to people around us, to the system itself. And the system is sick, you know? I mean, as uh, who is it? Krishnamurti said, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And this moment mm. in time, like, can we possibly stop and go, this is a profoundly sick society. We have created something that was born out of wounding it was born out of trauma you know and and so why are we still abiding by it and can we actually realize that we need to consciously create a different system oh yes and it's like (laughs) how do I give myself another measure for success Mm, yeah completely and it really I, I mean Alice and I we were just chatting before we started recording about um, you know, putting the podcast out and doing stuff in the world. And I was brushing my teeth the other night after we'd released the podcast and kind of standing there realizing like I'm going to be 40 this year. And, and this sense of contentedness, you know, of just like, I don't, I don't want to do things for feedback, you know? I mean, I love the feedback obviously, but it's not a sense of, I feel incomplete now. This thing is going to complete me putting out a podcast, doing something, you know, and I've spent my entire adult life trying to prove that, you know, like figuring out some way of saying this is going to make me be okay if I weigh this much or I look like this or I have this money or whatever. And and just realizing the absence of that was like such a pleasant, I mean, I've, I've realized it for a while, but like it's especially maybe doing something substantial like this it just it felt so nice to know that I get to decide whether or not I'm worthy nobody else right right only me and that I know it sounds totally narcissistic and and absorbed in my own stuff but like in that sense I think I can abide by I know I can abide by my own value system then and say well this is how I know I need to show up in order to be a decent person and when I don't do that, I'm responsible for it, but I'm not handing my power over to anything else, right? And that's right. sanity. It feels like sanity in compared to the insanity of my earlier years. It's, it's interesting because it's like I think what comes up when you hear something like that is that on one hand, that's where we're all trying to get to, where it's like, I feel okay within myself. But then as soon as like you start making those shifts toward that, the Mm -hmm. feedback you seem to get, or at least what I seem to notice sometimes, I mean, in varying Mm -hmm. ways for varying different or varying situations, um, which is like, you know, you're supposed to be all these great things, but you're not supposed to know it. You're not supposed to feel it. You're not supposed to feel okay (laughs) Uh in yourself because it becomes this like, Mm -hmm. who are you to not need approval from the outside world? Right, right. Profoundly sick society. This is like, you know, the the realities of what we're doing here is is you can't win, right? You're literally, you are like, screwed if you do, screwed if you don't, basically, in this system, you are never going to be okay chasing that rabbit, right, of like the outside, you know, world telling you your worth. We have to reevaluate where we are gaining our sense of self from. And in my books, yes, I mean, certainly we can... Um, and and I'm deeply connected to people and and relationships, but the earth and you, you know, and and your God, who whomever that might be, and I use the term God loosely. I'm not religious in that sense, but like the Tao, the system, all that is Yahweh, whatever you want to call it, you know, that's between you and and that energy, um, but also mm-hmm. your own in, internal integrity, right? The, to decide that and. You know, you, you're familiar with the four agreements, right, Allison? Yeah. Yes, I love that So book. it is amazing, right? And every, I, I think everybody who reads it says, oh, I love that book because it, it models for us, it, it presents this idea of what uh, an aligned, whole, healed human being really 
functions as, you know, and this is the, the Toltec teachings of the traditional indigenous lineages, shamanic lineages of Mexico. And they really emphasize this pursuit of um, spiritual mastery, spiritual warriorship, and would give this kind of, you know, end state basically to say, this is what you're going to act like when you are healed. And so one of the agreements that I find people love and hate at the same time because it provokes that part of their mind that you just alluded to, Alison, of saying, who are you to like be okay with yourself, right? We all have mm. that part of us. Um, and the, the commandment, the agreement is um, to not take things personally, Right. And we love it. It sounds so nice. Like, oh, my God, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, I, I don't right. ever have to worry about uh, what other people are thinking. And yet that part of us, which, again, may just be a well-intentioned remnant of our evolutionary past saying you are tribal, you are dependent upon everybody around you. Like you can't have that kind of authority. Maybe. I don't know. Or it might be, you know, remnants or an indication of, of what the the Iroquois people called the Wetico virus, you know, this sickness that like emerged some time ago in Mesopotamia that, you know, put this virus in our brain that said, you're not enough. Go, you know, you got to go prove yourself, right? Whatever it is, it's in us. It's in almost everybody I know, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't want us to think that we can decide that we're a decent person, that we're okay. And, um, I think that, you know, to consistently challenge that and to practice inner authority, that is the, the path of the knowing for sure, but it's the path of like sanity too, because we can't put our, our sense of self in the hands of other people. It doesn't make sense. And nor can we take other people's sense of self into our hands. That doesn't make sense either, right? It's mm -hmm. not beneficial for either parties. So do you feel like that's the essence of true vulnerability? Mm. I think so because I think that vulnerability and inner authority are a constantly co-creating feedback system. Okay. And I'm setting myself up for a really complex argument here. And now I've <laughs> got to put all the threads together. So <laughs> when we practice inner authority, we claim our ability, our our awareness that we are allowed to decide whether or not we're a good person. We feel safe, right? Because we are doing that. And when we are being an asshole, we say, I am being an asshole. I need to stop being an asshole, you know, and check ourselves, right? It requires, we can't just say, I'm, I'm a great person and not look at ourselves, right? That's sociopathic right. narcissism, narcissism, right? You have a president, no offense, Donald, but, you know, this is, this, <laughs> that's the state of mind where this person inhabits, you know? So, oh where we just decide, I'm just a good person, but I'm not actually looking at anything I'm doing. That's not okay. We need right, to be I get a looking pass at ourselves. Because I'm good. Right. Yeah, totally. Right. So, um, but as we take that authority inwards and we say, I today showed up and I was honest and I did my best and I practice impeccability, you know, another sort of aspect of Toltec teachings. We, we start to say, okay, I can, I can be okay, right? And in that, we've created this internal sense of solidity. And through that process, we then can be vulnerable, right? Because we're going, other people can't hurt me as much, right? My hands or my sense of self-worth is not in their hands in the same way. I am taking my sense of self-worth into my own being and into under my own care. And so then vulnerability doesn't feel as scary, right? Because we're not going to be slammed down so hard if somebody, you know, takes our heart into their hands and, and doesn't treat it with, with care, right? Mm -hmm. And as we continue doing that, we're more vulnerable. And so as we're more vulnerable, we actually gain an inner sense of strength, you know, to go, wow, you just did a scary thing. You just did something really hard, you know, and so then you gain this sense of self-worth and then you're internally strong and then you're more vulnerable. And it's just this like brilliant spiraling upwards, you know, until we can reach a, an experience in ourselves where vulnerability isn't, it's not painful anymore. You know, it's, it's the experience of like, 
absolute freedom because we don't have to wear this like armored coat around ourselves anymore of saying, oh God, people are going to hurt me and they're going to take away my sense of self-worth, right? We, we don't need to protect ourselves in the same way. When, and it's right. not to suggest that we don't have boundaries. In fact, you know, you're going to have even more solid and immediately enforced, but without, you know, malice or, or anger kind of enforcement. Um, but we're going to enforce our boundaries really clearly with people. Does that make sense? It does. It just um, sounds hard. It's so easy, Allison. Come on. Why do you have to complicate things all the time? It's just like, just it might, you know, again, this, this experience of, I've had non-dual teachers and they're just like, just don't do it. You know, like, like Michael Singer says in the Untethered Soul, like, you want to quit smoking? Just stop putting cigarettes in your mouth. Yes. You know, and you're like, thanks, tips. That's awesome. <laughs> It's very totally. helpful, you know. I mean, I love totally. him. I totally love Michael love Singer, but too. totally. But it's just, it's just not that simple, right? I right. think most of us need practices, perspectives, and support that you know give us a oh, okay, there's the crack in the in the door, you know, and I can kind of sort of wedge into that and start opening it a little bit at a time, right? Mm-hmm. I, well, I think part of it is that it's like as you start to get your sea legs with vulnerability you you really are starting to I don't know um open yourself up I think that the mm-hmm. the danger is like opening yourself up and then like a little dart does hit and mm-hmm. so then not telling yeah. yourself a story of like see that's why I'm not vulnerable in the first place exactly. I knew that was gonna exactly. happen so it's like what to do with that kind of like inevitable dart mm-hmm. that is gonna come mm-hmm that i mean this that process being able to deal with those darts that are going to come um i believe requires a lot of self reflective work you and i talk about this a lot this idea as in that we all have a story about what is normal and uh, expected and acceptable in our lives and those stories emerge out of our trauma and our wounding right mm-hmm. we go through childhood, we develop a story about who we are, how we're going to be loved, what's going to be normal, and our brains seek what is familiar, right? It loves what's familiar. And so some part of our psyche is actually pursuing a familiar experience, i.e., you know, somebody who's abused, and I say this, you know, carefully and with love, abused in childhood seeks abuse uh, uh, subconsciously in their life right and this is it's not because they're a bad person this is the way that our brain works all of us do this right we seek what is familiar and so you know yes practicing vulnerability but also seeing that when a pain is happening because we've cracked open that vulnerable door and an arrow has come through and wounded us you know is saying is this familiar to me do i get into situations and have Mm. experiences like this often and go maybe, I mean, this is a terrible joke to reference in this sort of context, but like the whole, you know, if you walk into a bar and a fight breaks out in every bar you walk into, you might be the the problem, you know, is oh, that right. like, if we're having these consistent experiences and saying, see, the world did it again, you know, is it that we are carrying a story that that's what we expect, right? And that's hard, hard yeah. work. And it's what has, I think it requires us or often requires us for most people to have a supportive space, a therapist, somebody that we're working with to open up those stories and go, whoa, look at this thing I've been carrying inside of me my whole life. Like, what is this? You know, can you help me ho- open it up? And because and, it's it's going to be tender, right? And obviously yeah. born out of pain. Um, so there's, you know, there's going to be a dance through different practices to go on that vulnerability, vulnerability, excuse me, um, spiral, you know, of like opening up, taking care of ourselves. And Vivek, Vivek Murthy, did you listen to that podcast that he did with Brene Brown? He was the ex-surgeon general, I think. No, no. It's really great. And it was, uh, he recently released a book on loneliness. And I've really, he's got such a, just a lucid, beautiful way of exploring the concepts around human relationship and vulnerability. And they had a really fruitful dialogue, you know, but really kind of not ended, but, but sort of danced around this idea of we all carry these stories about our worth and about whether or not we are worthy of relationships Mm -hmm. and connection and people loving us. 
And then we tend to make our stories true by behaving in ways that either push people away or pull them in or, you know, close doors or open doors in our relationships. And then we confirm, affirm our stories again, right? And and they were talking about just the complexity of that, of like, okay, so how do you get someone out of that loop, you know, is that they have that story that they don't deserve connection, and then they behave in ways that make it so that connection is very difficult, right? And so people right. might want to connect with them, but they're scared of connection. And I mean, I felt as a shamanic practitioner and someone deeply connected to earth wisdom, that what was missing in the conversation was because, you know, they were basically only operating on the level of the human being on, on human relationships is that we can go to the earth, to the elements, to the natural world and say, this loves me, you know, and, and can I let this in, as you and I talked about on a previous episode, even though I can't let human connection in, can I let nature in, you know, and let it love me a right. little bit, you know, and that might be the crack in the door. So then we maybe can reach towards humans in a different way or open ourselves up to a relationship, right? Right. And not end up the, the woman who has 85 cats. <laughs> <laughs> 85 cats is not a bad thing, okay? You, I, I want a few cats. I really love cats. I've got a cat so problem I. for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm li- I've been limited to two, though, so that might be the, the end of my cat lady experience. But, but yes, you know, like we definitely, I, I mean, there are people who just are more comfortable with, with natural, the natural world, animals and stuff, and, and yeah. so be it, right? This is n- there's no right, perfect, wrong way to do this. But if you're suffering, we need to take steps in a direction that feels sane and meaningful and medicinal. And sometimes the steps towards other people, as you're saying, you know, we go and we practice vulnerability and then we get wounded and we go, see, never mind. You know what? I'm not going to go there at all. Right. And so maybe that's not the direction we want to be exploring. Maybe we want to be exploring our connection to the wind or to water or to air or to the moon, you know, whatever it is Mm -hmm. that says, actually, there's something here that is supporting you. It is always supporting you. And can we feel that a little bit, you know, and then kind of move from there? Mm -hmm. Well, that makes me feel like that leads into where do we find safety? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're touching on with like safety in nature, safety, if we do not feel safe with people um, or in certain kind of relationships, how do we find safety? And is it an external Right. And there's, you know, even to look at the complexity of the concept of safety. And this, um, Jonathan Haidt, who wrote uh, Coddling of the American Mind, it's a really brilliant book. Um, And he has this term, and I can't remember exactly how it goes, but term drift or something, a definition drift is maybe what he calls it. I, I can't recall. But basically where we take a word like safety um, or take a word like violence, I think is the example he uses in the book. And violence, de- the definition of it is, you know, some physical act that, you know, causes harm to another being. And the drift in the, in the application of that term or the definition of that term has come to now mean, you know, anything that hurts our feelings a lot of the time, like, you know, is a violent act, right? And this is natural and, you know, it happens in our in our language all the time and the way we use our language. But, the way that it shifts tends to kind of broaden the landscape of what could be construed as violence in, and in a way that, you know, is, is going to be challenging for people because violence used to be used in a very different way. Right. And safety is a similar term where safety, you know, used to be used in a predominantly physical sense. Right. 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 Like, are you going to be eaten? Are you going to be hurt? Are you going to be, right. you know, physically damaged? Now we use it in in the replacement of psychological safety. Right. Which is, are you going to be considered emotionally and spiritually and mentally by this circumstance? Right. And so oh in order to even conceptualize of that question of like, what is safety and, and uh, you know, how do we deal with safety? I think we need to tease out that we're talking about physical safety or psychological, spiritual, emotional, and mental safety, right? And those are, they're actually different things because the reality is, and I laugh because I am so afraid of nature sometimes, and it's the one place that 
you know, my Haida teacher was like, you have to get rid of this fear, this sense of a lack of safety in nature. And he said, I'm coming, actually, I'm sending someone to your house. This was in February, three, four years ago. He said, I'm sending someone to your house to pick you up and they're going to go drop you in the woods for four days. And I was like, <laughs> you are not, there's no way that I'm going to do that. But that's the way that his lineage dealt with this fear of the fear of, you know, an animal eating you. Like I go out in the woods and I'm, I'm terrified a lot of the time, you know, I'm, I've this amazing relationship with Bear and she's one of my primary teachers and I'm terrified of them. And, mm. you know, that's that's a physical safety thing. The reality is, though, that you might be physically damaged out in the world. That's, that's right. I mean, this is like the first noble truth in Buddhism saying life is suffering. It, nothing is perfectly safe. We're never going to achieve perfect physical safety, are we? No. <laughs> it's not possible, right? It's Something's going to get you. You're going to get sick. You know, like, and we have to, that is making peace with that. And I'm not saying we walk into the middle of a war zone and say, ah, this, what will be will be, you know, is that we have to be <laughs> careful and, and considerate of where we put ourselves. But that at some point we have to say, life is not particularly safe. I am not getting out of this alive, you know, and this is this is the reality of my situation. Am I going to then live in a state of fear for the rest of my existence or not, right? And that that is a choice in the shamanic tradition. You know, the teachings say, if you're going to get eaten by a bear, by a whatever, then it's that's what needed to happen, right? You're part of this system. And that's, that's a, a stretch, right? I'm, <laughs> I still am challenged by that. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, that's where we have to go to with that sort of experience, right? Now, yeah. psychological, does that all make sense? It does. It does make yeah. sense. It touches on this um, Harriet Tubman quote, has always like felt like the epitome of what you're talking about, which is mm -hmm. when asked like how she kept going back to rescue more people on the Underground Railroad. She said, if it's my time to go, the Lord will let them take me. And I was like, oh my God, that like, I feel yes. like that's the peak that's peak courage where it's just like, yes. yes, I am walking into God only knows, but I can yeah. trust in the system that if something does happen to me, then yeah. it was time. Yes. And that, like, I love that you use the word courage in that, Allison, is that the courage necessary to set down our fear you know, to actually say, I'm not going to use this as, I mean, I, as we, we tell ourselves we're going to protect ourselves. We're going to anticipate danger, right, by being afraid all yeah. the time. We deplete, we diminish entirely the possibility of being happy in this moment. And we are not practicing bravery. We're not, bravery is setting down the fear and going, okay, I'm part of this system. And if it's going to happen, then this is what's going to happen, right? And mm -hmm. I mean, it's again there has that has to be tempered with um not putting ourselves in lion's cages or like you know but maybe maybe that's what we do i mean it's it's that's our maybe that's our path i mean harriet tubman was certainly putting herself in dangerous situations right but she was doing it consciously and and willingly and saying this is my this is my dharma like this is what i have to be doing right and that's that, I mean, the highest expression of us living in alignment, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. I think that... But, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, but the flip side of that is there's almost, to me, nothing that feels worse than being blindsided. Mm-hmm, for and sure. And I think that that's where a lot of my anticipation comes from, is that it's like, okay, I accept that sometimes bad stuff is just going to mm -hmm. happen, but it mm -hmm. feels so much worse when you're just strolling along, minding your own business and get like slammed in the face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But then I think the challenge is, is that we haven't actually accepted that bad things are going to happen. We've told ourselves that we've <laughs> accepted it, right? Mm, We're like, yeah, 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 I'm good with this because it's not really going to happen. Like, it's right. it's okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, this is the sure, first noble truth. To other people. Yeah, totally. Like, I can accept that the world is crazy for other people, you know. But <laughs> for me, it's going to continue this way. I mean, this is this is the human, you know, condition is that we are not particularly good at at entertaining the realities of our existence, which are 
you will get sick and die. Everything you love will pass away. I mean, these are horrible things to say, but they're not because they're the truth, right? right? This is True. this is what's going to happen. And so the first noble truth of, of recognize this, be okay with this and use that to love this life even more, you know, to be even more present in every single moment because everything is going to fall away, you know, and and that is a, it's an immense um, gift if we really practice it, but we can't just cerebrally say, yeah, 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 I get it, shit's going to happen, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Okay, let's go into the nice stuff. Like, let's talk about enlightenment and, like, cool <laughs> things, you know, like, it's the using that reality as, as the ultimate teacher, you know, and, and reframing our relationship to life from that place so that when we are quote-unquote blindsided and I mean certainly sudden awful things happen in our lives but we if we've worked on that first kind of level of of making peace with what is right then we're gonna say this is what happens is is things come out of the blue right We, we don't get a lot of warning and that's the the reality for a lot of really tragic events right yeah but then the flip is to then say, oh, sometimes bad things happen out of the blue and it doesn't mean anything more than that. Yes. yes. Well, in that, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a whole often Judeo-Christian sort of inherited um, ideology belief system around, you know, we live in, in a, a universe controlled by a punitive God, you know, the God of the Old Testament who's like, you, I shall smite you, you know, and... And that, uh, to see things as punishment is a very dangerous place in my books, you know, to go into is to say I'm, I'm somehow being punished for something, you know. I, karma in, in the traditional Buddhist sense, in the traditional shamanic sense, and maybe we'll have a whole talk about karma at some point because I think it's such an interesting yes. conversation, is uh, it's not punitive. It's not like, oh, you did this stupid thing, now you're going to, I'm going to slap you, you know, like this is, it's corrective. It's trying to say, okay, you are not aware of the fact that, you know, you are a loving being or that the universe is trying to enhance your consciousness and awareness. And so I'm going to give you a little correction here. It's not punishment. It's a, it's just an energetic check and balance system, right? Mm-hmm. And that we have to be very aware, I think, of seeing things as not like us being punished. Yeah. Well, punished and like you said earlier in the conversation where it's like that feeling of, oh, this always happens. Here it is again. Right, right. It does normally feel like our story, that. right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, again, karma will bring things to us that show us what our subconscious story is. That's kind of the intention and the point of it is to go, okay, I'm going to poke you here and you can see what you're carrying and you can maybe draw consciousness into it and decide whether or not you want to carry this story anymore, right? But unconsciously, we're going to use any karmic provocation, any incident that, you know, we can say, oh, see, there, my story is true. We're going to unconsciously use it to affirm our story and get even more solidified in our story of what the world is like, right? When the reality in in my lineage is is that the, the circumstances occurring so that we can look at it consciously, look at the story in ourselves consciously, and then let it go. Right. Mm. It's not it's not trying to get us more concretized in our own, you know, I don't know, idea, our own reality. Right. So to come back, though, to this idea of psychological safety, because I think it's a really important topic and it's a very difficult topic, you know, is that just like physical safety, the reality is, is that people are never going to be psychologically safe for you, are they? No. They haven't so far. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) No matter how hard I try, everyone is still doing their own shit, right? They're still doing them. And they, I mean, this is the agreement, right, of not taking it personally because, not taking other people's stuff and how they behave personally because they're just doing them. Right. And Mm -hmm. yes, you might be in a dance with them at that moment and, you know, provoking each other or whatever, but to expect that the world is going to make us feel good about ourselves all the time is such a a setup for misery, right? Can, I mean, can you see that? Totally. It's, it's awful, you know, and yet we tell ourselves that a lot, I think in modern society. And again, Jonathan Haidt's book, he talks about this, that like we're, 
we're teaching our kids a lot of the time that like the world should be nice to them all the time. And I mean, this is what's called emotional reasoning, right? Is that I, I can be upset about something because it makes me upset. It makes me feel bad, right? Where that's, again, a foundation for not a good life, you know, and not actually feeling powerful, but being, you know, buffeted about by every person in every circumstance. Like, oh my God, that person just offended me. And, you know, now I'm irate about stuff, right? And and it, it this the delicacy of having this conversation because we, I by no means mean to suggest that like you can just let people be assholes and not like call them out on how they're offending you, but to expect that the world is going to be perfectly safe for us is again going to create unhappiness forever, right? Right, and there there's a lot of policing happening right now in terms of how we speak, how we share our opinions, what we yes. can call each other, what how, like the things that we're just supposed to intuit. Um, yeah. It feels like we're walking into increasingly challenging territory to not be responsible for other people's feelings. Yeah, for sure. And at the same time, be, I mean, I, you know, in, in not taking things personally, I think often people think that's just going to set a person up to be a jerk, you know, because they're not going to be thinking about other people. But if somebody comes to you and says, hey, that thing that you said was really, that was uncomfortable for me. I think that a person who is in a state of, you know, their inner authority and, and inner sense of power is going to go, holy shit, I, you know, if I, if I meant to offend you, well, then haha, that's just the way it goes, you know, but if I didn't mean to offend you, I'm going to say, no, I like, I don't, I'm, I did not mean to do that. And I'm really, really sorry, right? But to expect that people should be living, should be inhabiting the same reality as us is an absurdity when you really think about that, you know, that like somehow people should know what we're going to be offended by or what's going to upset us, you know, is we're, we are, again, setting up the conditions for us being irate and indignant for the rest of our lives, right? And right. It, we psychological safety is something that in my books, you know, you create for yourself again through these practices of saying, how am I going to live in integrity? How am I going to show up in the way that is meaningful for me? And it is not something that we can place in the hands of other people because if they're having a shitty day, they're going to do something shitty. And if your sense of worth is again tied up into them doing that thing, you know, then you are going to be unhappy, made unhappy by that, right? And mm -hmm. it's, again, not to suggest that people should put up with things, but if we are conditioning ourselves to constantly be looking for people doing offensive things, that's all we're going to find too, you know, is mm -hmm. uh, that we're creating a story, right? That the world is not being sensitive to us. And we have this part of our brain that's called the reticular activating system is there's a few different words for it but basically it's like what your eyes talk to in your brain and your brain tells your eyes what to look for in the world you know and so if you've ever had the experience of like you know you're going to buy a new car and your brain you, you know you decide you want a blue toyota camry and all of a sudden there's like blue Toyota Camrys everywhere. Like every person has decided yeah. to buy a blue Toyota Camry, right? It's not because there's more of it. It's because your brain's saying, this is what she likes, go find it for her, right? It's filtering out your experience to say, this is what's important. And so if you start conditioning your mind to say, the world, you know, people are offensive and people are unkind, and yes, they are for sure, but all you're going to find is that, right? And then how happy are you going to feel? How, you know, and I mean, I, I guess I'm not, is a social justice kind of warrior in that sense who's like I'm going to go tell other people what to do and how to say things I am more concerned with creating my own sense of integrity because that's hard enough work you know and then mm -hmm. changing the world from that place if that makes sense yeah it does I just think it's um I think that there's a lot of guilt wrapped up in that for people mm, how so that just comes back to like, am I doing enough? And right. some people genuinely aren't doing what they could be doing. Um, right. But then I guess that's a judgment, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that there is this, I, I think if you do walk a path where it's like, okay, I want to show up in the world, I think it is mm -hmm. easy to say, I, like you said earlier, I'm, I'm not doing enough. What more could I be doing? I think especially people right. with like a helping spirit always feel a little bit like they're lacking. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, the teachings of, of shamanic practice 
to say you cannot be helpful to other people. You cannot be in service to the world if you are depleted yourself, right? If you are not, um, like the concept in shamanic practice is this idea of the hollow bone. When you are doing shamanic work, you are you are the hollow bone. And, and the, I, I have a hollow bone on my altar and it, it's, you know, a firm, I was like a leg bone or something. The outside of it is very, very strong. And then it's got this hole in the middle where the marrow used to be, right? And mm-hmm. In order to be able to move healing energy, which moves through the center of us, right, through all people, I think, in different forms and amounts, um, in order to be able to hold that energy, the outside has to be strong, right? The bone can't be flexible and wobbly and, and you know, not capable of, of staying strong. And so our job has to be making that bone solid so that we can do the healing work. And I think that people try to do the healing work without the solid bone and they just end up making a catastrophe for themselves and they can't carry the energy well, right? Mm. How does it make a catastrophe for yourself? Well... So the analogy that I sometimes use for people is, I'm not a plumber. I Forgive me for anyone listening who might be a plumber, and I probably, you know, speaking, I don't even know how plumbing works probably. But basically this idea that like, you know, you have, um, you are a tube, you know, and divine energy is moving through you. And, you know, we want to enhance how, how well that divine energy moves through us. So the energy will not move through well if there are blockages in the tube. Okay. So there's, you know, some, and blockages would be trauma or old woundings or, you know, places in ourselves where we are not aware of what's going on. And that stops the energy of flow, the flow of energy moving through us. Right. The energy can also not flow through. Like if you had two pipes in the plumbing system that were not connected, right. They're not in alignment. And so the pipes are kind of moved off to the side. You're going to, you're going to create a catastrophe for yourself basically. um, If you know, there's water going everywhere because the pipes aren't aligned. Similarly, if you don't have strong pipes, if the pipes have rusted out or you're, you know, putting, there's too much energy flowing through there and the pipes are not strong, you know, then everything's, it's, it, it feels like a catastrophe, right? A, a mental breakdown, right? Because we're trying to move this energy. And I see this with a lot of people, especially who do have that natural drive towards or call towards healing work is that they want to do it, but they haven't first solidified their 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 pipe you know they're they're not strong in themselves and it ends up that they you know then get into this rhetoric I find and I mean this with no offense of saying oh I'm just such an empath I'm so overloaded you know like I'm taking on everybody's Mm -hmm. energy well why are you doing that you know that's not your job and your job is is to make yourself this solid entity who can allow this energy to flow through you know well and in alignment and without blockages and that's our job it's that's it you know that's what we have to do is not tell other people how to move their pipes around you know in or deal with them is until we have a solid sense of our own selves you know we're not really going to be that beneficial to other people I don't think oh yeah because it it ties into I think feeling a sense of of purpose and we don't really get taught that our purpose is taking care of ourselves Right. We get taught the exact opposite. We get taught that our purpose is pleasing the outside world, right? And I mean, we've sort of briefly alluded to our contemporary and historical educational systems that say, you know, the purpose of you is to get a job, to become something, right? We're not Mm -hmm. becoming the highest version of ourselves. We are becoming, we're, we're being placed in a in a niche, in a a spot in civilization to say, now I am this thing, right? And we need to completely reevaluate how we are conditioning our children to exist in the world. And that is, you know, a a fundamental shift that has to happen if we are to create a society that is not profoundly unwell, right? Is that we can't be teaching people that their sense of self-worth exists outside of them. Yes, and I think that that is a huge thing that this quarantine has shown us because so much of our purpose seems to be tied to our livelihood. And then Mm -hmm. when you have Mm -hmm. people whose livelihood has been stripped away or shifted Mm -hmm. majorly, Mm -hmm. I think that this experience has been like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. without that livelihood, 
what do I do? Like, how, how do I know? And yeah. it feels like, you know, you'd be open to exploring purpose, but you also have to pay your bills. So it feels like they're supposed sure. to be tied together. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, I think if we are seriously as a civilization going to consider and move towards the transformation that I think is necessary, um, then we're going to be implementing something like universal basic income for a while to say, okay, we need to take the pressure off of people financially so that they can get to know themselves maybe. Who knows, you know, if that might be a possibility. I mean, people still come into a realization. They still awaken to the fact that they are inhabiting a life that doesn't actually feel aligned with them. You know, this still happens even in this sick society, you know. But yeah. if we're going to not... Um, I mean, have people be the collateral damage of capitalism? Because that's what we are. We're often the collateral damage of capitalism, you know, and the earth is the collateral damage. And that's not okay, right? We have to actually start valuing people and and saying that, you know, the well-being of individuals and of the earth has to be our highest priority. And what does a system look like that supports that? And perhaps for a while we do have universal basic income to take any f pressure off of people so that they can go, okay, what does my life feel like when it feels valuable? Like what, what am I doing? You know? And I think we mm -hmm. might be really surprised. I, I, I'm quite certain we'll be surprised at the simplicity of it, you know, is that like yeah. I am yesterday for mother's day, you know, I got to go in the greenhouse for a couple hours and like, that is bliss for me. Absolute bliss. Now, I know that there are people in the world who bliss might be performing in front of 10,000 people in a stadium. I think that, you know, we we all inhabit a different reality, right? But th that's bliss for me, you know, and, and it's simple and it's small. And, you know, my ego mind could say, you're not doing enough. You're not making an imprint in the world in the way that you should, you know, but that's what feels right for me in that moment, you know? And I think when we are offered the opportunity to slow down, like the quarantine has offered us, we might actually realize that magic is available to us in simple and beautiful moments. And it doesn't have to be this like super fast paced, you know, massive thing that we've been conditioned to think that it does. And that there's time. Yeah, there is. There's time. And, you know, to leave everything on maybe a paradoxical note, there's this, this saying from the Buddha and he says, the problem is you think you have time. And the thing that I love about that, in you know, we're saying there's so much time, we can take the pressure off ourselves, you know, to accomplish things by some linear idea of when they should be accomplished by, but also put the pressure on by saying, you are going to die, people are going to die, everything falls away, wake up now, you know, be here, wake up, pay attention to what's going on, like don't sleepwalk through your life, right? And that's what I think he was alluding to. And in doing that, we actually come into this present moment awareness of being able to say, I don't have to rush my life. I can enjoy every sweet moment as it unfolds. The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipnik people. All music, editing and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is.